You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, June 1st, 2020. Later in the program, Sydney Foreman talks to Mayor John Hamilton in her weekly segment, A Few Minutes with the Mayor. Also coming up in the next half hour, Cade Young covers protests over the weekend in Bloomington and Indianapolis. But first, your local headlines. Today was the last day to participate in early voting for the presidential primary elections. Tomorrow, Tuesday, June 2nd, is the official primary election day. In-person voting polls will be open from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and all voters must bring a valid ID. According to an Indy Star report, State Secretary Connie Lawson said personal protective equipment has been provided for all Indiana County election offices. Emergency Management Director Allison Moore said 1,000 surgical masks were provided to Monroe County Election Center for the public and poll workers to use. Poll workers will take efforts to provide a safe voting environment, keeping voters distanced while voting and encouraging the use of face masks. Any voters can find their polling locations at indianavoters.in.gov. Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton said in-person shopping began again at the Bloomington Farmer's Market. However, he said it is still limited during a May 29th COVID-19 press conference. The farmer's market is uh, changing again. We really appreciate the collaboration with the health department. We're going to be allowing some in-person shopping at the farmer's market this coming Saturday, uh, still limited to 75 people. It's still going to be quite a different market from what uh, we saw uh, the past years, but look forward to that. Monroe County Commissioner Julie Thomas said the county is still accepting grant applications for tourism-related businesses outside of the city of Bloomington. She said applications will only be accepted through the governor's order ending at the end of June. Thomas said on June 15th, county board and commission meetings will resume via Zoom. Regional Director for Alignment and Integration for Indiana University Health, Mary Ann Valenta, said the IU Health Hospital is reopening physician practices. And so we want people to know that every precaution is being taken, but patients will be asked to wear a mask. We will provide that mask to them if they do not come to the office with one. Our providers and staff will all be wearing masks as well. Patients will also be screened for COVID-19 symptoms before entering the building. And we're working hard to significantly decrease wait times in the offices. We're doing this by scheduling uh, appointments further apart. If there are, uh, if there is a possibility that you have to wait, all of the waiting areas have been reconfigured so that social distancing um, is maintained. County Health Administrator Penny Caudell encouraged the public to maintain routine medical appointments and vaccinations. She said families can continue to receive free and reduced school meals in the summer. Families who are receiving free and reduced school meals, um, there is pandemic uh, program to in help them during this time when schools, for example, are closed um, and there's no application needed. So if people are receiving those benefits, then their card will automatically be mailed to them or, or they will be added to their SNAP 
benefits automatically. Connell said Monroe County moved into Indiana Governor Holcomb's stage three of reopening. However, they will be restricting group gatherings to 50 people maximum. Emergency Management Director Allison Moore said on June 23rd, Monroe County will hold a blood drive at the Bloomington Convention Center. You can call and make an appointment for that. And that's how we're going to be able to keep our social distancing and still get the um, the many people, hopefully, that will sign up. They do anticipate us to be in a dire short shortage around the end of June, beginning of July. So we ask that you consider going. You can call 1-800-RED-CROSS. And the code to get an appointment for this particular site is Monroe County. Um, there also is a website, redcrossblood.org. And then you can then search in the search engine, Monroe County. And you'll see the Bloomington Convention Center where you can go and then select a time for you to, in fact, register um, by appointment to go and make that donation. Indiana University Assistant Vice President of Strategic Partnerships, Kirk White, said IU has restarted research projects. He said IU has released the 2020-2021 academic school year calendar. We'll uh, start on uh, August 24th uh, and run through uh, 20 December for the, the fall semester. Uh, however, uh, uh, classes will only operate online uh, after November the 20th and up through uh, uh, the 8th of February, which allows us to have a new winter session, which will be the 30th of November through the 7th of February. Spring semester will start on the 19th of January and uh, run through the, the 9th of, of May, but online courses only, uh, online instruction only until, uh, until uh, the 9th of February. Uh, this will continue along with this concept of uh, hybrid face-to-face uh, -face and online instruction that we think will be successful for us uh, uh, this uh, next year. The next COVID-19 press conference will be held on Friday, June 5th. Up next, WFHB correspondent Alex Dieterer discusses Indiana University's plans for the fall 2020 semester. For more on the story, we turn to WFHB news correspondent Alex Dieterer. Last Wednesday, Indiana University released their plans via email for returning to campus and resuming instruction in the 2020-2021 academic year. After sharing the report of the IU Restart Committee with faculty and staff, the committee recommended that the fall semester comprise of both in-person and online instruction, as previously mentioned by IU President Michael A. McRobbie at the end of April. In efforts to ensure extensive public health measures are taken, President McRobbie also announced IU's statewide partnership with IU Health to provide all IU students, faculty, and staff with COVID-19 symptom checking, virtual visits with healthcare professionals, and testing with continued monitoring. The 2020-2021 academic year will begin August 24th and end May 9th and will be in three parts. The fall semester will run from August 24th to December 20th, with classes offered both in person and online until November 20th, Thanksgiving break. After break, all in-person instruction will end and the rest of the semester will be online only. There will be no fall break. The online period from November 30th to February 2nd will be a new winter session. Campuses will have the flexibility to use this period in a few ways. One, finish the fall semester courses. Two, begin spring semester courses. 
or three, create new intensive courses that utilize either or both the December and January online periods. These optional winter session classes will be included in tuition rates. Lastly, the spring semester will begin January 19th with online-only instruction and resume in-person on February 8th. The semester will end May 9th. There will be no spring break. According to a news release from IU, the revised schedule is intended to reduce travel to and from campuses and help limit the number of people on an IU campus during peak flu season. In order to provide a safe educational environment, IU will continue to implement essential policies and procedures for all campuses regarding cleaning protocols, room capacities, distancing, personal responsibilities, lengthened passing period times, and research in labs and shared spaces, drawing heavily on CDC and state guidelines. As the semester draws closer, these procedures will evolve, but can be expected to include the use of masks, social distancing, quarantining when necessary, reduced class sizes to 50 or fewer, grab-and-go dining services, and regular personal symptom checking. IU will provide all faculty, staff, and students with two cloth masks before the start of the fall semester. In regard to residential housing, all rooms in all of IU's residence halls will be single occupancy, but there will be a, quote, rigorous exemption process, end quote, available for students who would rather wish to choose their roommate. According to the Indiana Daily Student, IU spokesperson Chuck Carney said all students will be required to leave IU residence halls for the online-only period next semester. As stated by McRobbie in his email to the IU community, quote, Our lives today are much different than they were 90 years ago, and life on our campuses this fall will also be different than it was a year ago. As we have said repeatedly, the safety and well-being of all IU students, faculty, and staff is our highest priority. We have followed a methodical and deliberate approach in developing our plans for the new academic year and are relying on the best health and safety guidance available. We will also continue to adapt our plans to new developments as they rise, end quote. According to the news release, details on tuition, fees, registration, and residence hall information for each campus will be provided in the coming days. Further information about the upcoming academic year can be found at fall2020.iu.edu. For WFHB, I'm Alex Dieterer. Up next in today's feature report, I cover the protests in Bloomington and Indianapolis after the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Protests happened in Bloomington over the weekend in the wake of the shooting of George Floyd, who was killed by police in Minneapolis, Minnesota. About 150 protesters gathered outside the Monroe County Courthouse on May 29th. Protesters were blocking traffic, according to a report in the Indiana Daily Student. However, detailed in that report, a man driving a large black pickup truck drove over the foot of Willow Armstrong, who was a demonstrator in the protest. According to the IDS, Armstrong is a recent high school graduate who moved to Bloomington less than a year ago from Florida. Protesters walked north to the county jail. There, demonstrators kneeled in silence and raised their fists for seven minutes to represent the seven minutes police officer Derek Chauvin kneeled on George Floyd's neck. A protest is organized for June 5th at Dunn Meadow at 3 to 5 p.m. It is titled Enough, and its organizers include Selena Drake and Abby Ang, according to its Facebook event page. Community activists Dr. Charlie Nelms, City Councilman Jim Sims, and Monroe County Democratic Party Chair Jennifer Crossley 
are among the confirmed list of speakers at the protest. The events page says, quote, Join this call to hear ways you can show up alongside folks on the front lines in Minneapolis and join our long-haul work to bring more white folks into multiracial movements for justice, end quote. Police clashed with protesters this weekend after the murder of George Floyd and several other black Americans killed by police in Indianapolis and across the U.S. Tear gas was released on protesters after 9 p.m. This came after city officials asked protesters to clear the streets at around 7 p.m. Several protesters were arrested, and reports of widespread vandalism followed, according to an investigative report in the Indy Star. The Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department confirmed at least one fatality by midnight after Saturday's protests. People marched mostly in protest of the recent killings of Drajon Reed in Indianapolis. Breonna Taylor in Louisville, and most recently, George Floyd in Minneapolis. One protester was there to demonstrate their frustration of the police shooting of an Indianapolis native, Sean Reed, in early May. The protester aired their comments on RTV6, the ABC affiliate in Indianapolis. I'm here to protest for Sean Reed because he was murdered by the police, and they keep saying that he had a gun on him and that he shot the police. They can't even get their story together. Like, y'all can't even get your story together. First, why would you tase him if you were in danger for your life and you're a police officer? Why would you tase him if you thought he had a gun? Why would you tase him? Why wouldn't you yell, gun? You didn't hear nothing in that video, him say, gun, gun, nothing. All you heard was him tase him. He saw him go to the ground. He said the tase was not effective. How was it not effective? We all saw it. 30,000 people saw it. We saw him drop to the ground, and then all you heard was 18 shots. And then he shot him two more times after he was already on the ground. You shot him, and he couldn't even get up. You shot an innocent man. You shot him because he ran from you? Was it worth it? Was it worth his life because he ran from you? IMPD Chief Randall Taylor addressed the majority of peaceful protesters and the reports of vandalism later in the evening. Earlier this evening, our officers worked to protect our residents' rights to peaceful protest. And most of those protesters cooperated and did a fine job. And for that, we're thankful. However, there was a small group of people that escalated to violent acts, including throwing projectiles at officers and breaking windows of government buildings. Since then, we've seen a continued and escalating uh, incidence of violence. This includes shootings, our shots fired, and loss of life. This is not acceptable in this community. This behavior will not be tolerated by the IMPD. We're asking that residents who do not live in the downtown area to go home. Enough is enough. Indianapolis, we are better than this. Protesters gathered on Sunday morning, lying their backs on the ground as names were read of black Americans who were killed by police across the country. Wherever you can find a spot, if you can please, for those who desire, if you could lie down on your backs, we're going to prepare for the die-in where we will lie down for eight minutes and 46 seconds. While you are lying there, we're going to read the name. We're going to read the name of black men, women, and boys. Michelle Cusa, Laquan McDonald, Jay.
Dutch land. Tanisha Anderson. Akai Golden. Tamia Rice. For WFHB, I'm Cade Young. Now it's time for a few minutes with the mayor, where I talk to Mayor John Hamilton about local issues in Bloomington. Community members posted questions on our social media via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, posing questions to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton about current issues. Today, on a few minutes with the mayor, John Hamilton answers these questions. Our first question today comes from Beth Moses, And they're asking, what provisions and protocols is the city planning in regard to safety retaining thousands of IU students returning to town as of COVID-19? It's a good question. As uh, IU students come back to town, how we will work to protect the health of everybody. It's complicated. IU, of course, has intense plans for on-campus. We're working with them to think about how that translates into off-campus. As the state and the county health departments allow more activities to take place, it's going to be challenging to manage that. We'll keep focused on the data, keep focused on the science, trying to make sure we protect everybody. The virus does not recognize a a boundary between on-campus and off-campus, so uh, we'll have to manage the health issues uh, in ways that deal with the virus not just kind of silos that we live in. Um, How does the city plan on enforcing compliance through parties and gathering of off-campus or on-campus as to the proper distancing and approved group sizes? Enforcement is an interesting issue. It depends a lot on the legal status of the health orders. Um, If health orders have a mandate in them that require, for example, a restaurant to have all of its employees using masks, uh, that is definitely enforceable. That would tend to be enforced through the health department and their typical food and safety oversight of restaurants. On the other hand, if it's a strong encouragement for patrons to socially distance or physical distance or to use masks in certain settings, if it's a strong encouragement but not a requirement, then enforcement, of course, is very different. You know, in government, we have to be very careful that we know the difference between something you're strongly urged and encouraged and motivated and educated to do versus something that you are by law required to do. You know, we know that when thousands of students come back from all over the country, some from all over the world, uh, we're going to have some health challenges, we expect. The numbers are good in the community right now. But uh, any, any outbreak doesn't just affect the people who have the disease. They can, of course, be vectors of transmission to lots of other people in the community. So we're all in this together, and we're going to be working on it together. So am I correct in saying that IU students would be like the employees? So if IU were to put down a um, regulation on like no gatherings over 10 and you all have to be wearing face masks or something like that as an example, and if they didn't follow that, they would be subject to um, any sort of enforcement as an employee to their employer? Yes, as I understand it, and again, theoretically, if Indiana University were to have behavior requirements of its students on campus, let's say to wear a mask and to stay six feet apart in certain circumstances, and not to have gatherings uh, of different kinds like this, 
they could say to that student, I think theoretically, that off campus we are going to expect you to follow certain protocols as well. As an IU student in the community, you should not have gatherings above this size or you should not go outside uh, and be close to anybody without a mask. And if a student were to violate that, they could be subject, I think theoretically, to university discipline just like they would be for misbehavior or uh, steps they took on campus. Uh, so that so it could be subject to the IU disciplinary system. And just as an example, if a student behaves in a way that does not violate legally a health order, they still, it's possible, are acting in ways that are contrary to their commitment to their uh, education institution, IU, which could take disciplinary action against them, even though it may not be governmental legal um, authority. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, The next thing we have here is many cities and towns are holding protests, rallies, and demonstrations after the death of George Floyd. And in response, one protest has already happened in Bloomington on May 29th. And so how does the city just feel about this? Well, I I will say uh, personally, watching the video of what happened to George Floyd made my stomach turn and it was sickening. Um, Bloomington Police Chief Tikoff has put out a statement. I put out a statement on social media to that effect that just noted the awful uh, behavior there. And, and of course, it's a pattern we've seen in the country uh, of uh, government violence, often police violence against unarmed, innocent African-American residents. And it's a, it's a terrible um, legacy and litany that we've had from Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and others and George Floyd. So I totally and fully embrace the importance of action and protest and demand for better response. And I hope and trust that up in Minneapolis and Louisville and Georgia and other places that there will be judicial and and legal responses to some of that outrageous behavior. You know, it is is of great concern when when appropriate protest and and very strong uh, advocacy turns into violence itself. Uh, And that is something that communities are wrestling with. I think communities, everybody would expect that it's important to protect the life and safety of everyone in a community uh, while also fully embracing the importance of advocacy and activism and protest. Bloomington has had a couple, at least a couple protests I know, and, and they've been nonviolent. And uh, there was one arrest, I think, not from of a protester, but of somebody who interfered with the, the protesters over the weekend. There were uh, protests that took place Friday and Saturday, I believe. And I fully understand and, and sympathize and join uh, the protests against uh, for example, the George Floyd activity, actions, those were abhorrent, unnecessary, uh, probably very much illegal, and, and I hope and trust the justice system will respond to them. You know, we work very hard in Bloomington to deal with the legacies of racism, whether it's inside our government, uh, whether it's in our whole community. They're here, they're present, they need attention. We continue to work on those. And I will say it's humbling as a mayor to recognize that you can have a bad act, can happen at any time, at any place. Uh, And it's really important as a community that we do all we can to prevent that. Are there any plans to work with organizations in town or in the county to hold safe protests? 
Well, we've already coordinated with organizations, yes, about protests, uh, I know, uh, and we appreciate that. We support and fully embrace the right of our community to engage in protests. It's part of the DNA of Bloomington and a healthy community. So we work very closely with many. Not all organizations or groups want to do that. And so we try to respond and facilitate legal protests uh, as we can, but also to assure that those protests can be done safely that they don't hurt anybody in the process. But generally, many of the protests are done with collaboration and support from the from the government. Are there any ways that you know of these protests trying to enforce social distancing or any other um, practices of staying healthy in the midst of a pandemic? That's a challenge, Sydney. I don't know specifically of, for example, the recent protests. I, I, I understand there were some attention to that, but Those are situations where that physical distancing can become compromised, if you will, where people in their energy and and advocacy can can, uh, do things that might not be most prudent from a public health perspective. So it's a challenge, uh, but we'll work closely with folks. That's part of being a safe protest is protecting people in the protest uh, from uh, the the pandemic. uh, And we hope all people will will attend to those risks because they're very real. And if there are any forms of vandalism that occur in town, as seen in some other protests, how would the city react to that? Well, vandalism, destruction of property uh, is illegal, of course, and we would respond uh, appropriately. I think our Bloomington police have a long history of being um, prudent and careful in doing that in ways that try to make clear that we will protect people and property from illegal actions while also trying very, very hard not to escalate uh, danger or destruction in that in that case. Um, you know, we, the police department, we, Bloomington law enforcement and public safety officials uh, work very hard. They're very well trained to de-escalate, to try to uh, keep the big picture in mind and uh, of course, if there is vandalism or violence, uh, that is something we take very seriously in the community and will work to protect. But I think we also understand that frustrations in it and, and uh, tempers can be high and, and sometimes uh, prudence in terms of how to how best to de-escalate an individual encounter or a, or a group encounter is something that we work on very hard every day. Does the city plan on having any more police um, enforcement or have them geared with anything extra that uh, during these protests that they normally would? You know, the public safety department, police department, fire department, and others really are, are always ready to, to uh, respond as needed in local situations, whether you have a, a protest or a natural disaster or anything. We, we have a very uh, resilient and flexible group of people who can respond as needed. Sometimes you may hold a shift over, I believe, on Friday night in the community. We held some shift officers over from afternoon shift into evening shift to just be sure we had enough personnel on hand. Uh, And I'm sure we'll continue to be sure that we have the adequate personnel on hand, but not uh, excessive. Has the city or has the county moved on to stage three of Indiana Governor Holcomb's stages of reopening? Yes, on Saturday, last Saturday, we moved basically into stage three uh, under a county health order last uh, Saturday, May 30th. And uh, one exception was uh, rather than going to 100 person gatherings being approved with appropriate protocols and guidelines, we we kept it under the county's order to 50 persons uh, as of noon on Saturday. That order runs, I believe, through June 15th. 
So there will be continual review to see whether and when we're ready for another step. As you may have seen in the media, there's just been an apparent uh, significant rise in cases at one of our senior living centers. And uh, so that's the kind of thing we really need to watch, uh, to watch for spikes and, and stress on the system. Does the county plan to fully be reopened by July 4th, as the governor projected in his original reopening stages? Well, I can't speak for the county health department, though I work very closely with them regularly. Uh, I don't think we have an artificial date or particular date by which we are locally committed to be in any particular place. I think we're trying to follow the data, follow the science, see what it tells us locally on when and whether it's safe to open this or that activity level uh, and at what level and, and with what protocol. So I, I would not want to put any uh, arbitrary deadlines out there. We're taking it really literally a week at a time and sometimes even a day at a time. Do you have a question for Mayor John Hamilton? Comment that question on this coming week's post for a few minutes with the mayor to have your question answered. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Alex Dieterer, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB news programming online at WFHB.org. You too can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at WFHB.org. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 